Improvised Weapons features audio from BattleBards.com. BattleBards provides premium music, sound effects, and voices that enhance any tabletop experience. Me tell you no be bad! Squish! And with a BattleBards Prime subscription, you can get access to the entire catalog, as well as tools like soundboards, the mixer, and BattleBards Cast, allowing you to broadcast your audio online across any virtual tabletop service. You can even upload and mix from your private audio library. And with BattleBards Prime, you get a 20% discount on all purchases. Head to BattleBards.com and subscribe to BattleBards Prime using the coupon code IWVTCAST to save some money and let them know who sent you. BattleBards. Take your game to the next level with the greatest tabletop audio library on the material plane. The following is an original, actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast featuring comedians and improvisers in the great state of Vermont. Welcome to Improvised Weapons. Last time on Improvised Weapons. Krayshawn Belchmaster. Trinic Juan Chocolate Ganache. Uh, I think I just need to charge in. I duck, I weave, I bob through the trees. Now, if you're going to whip it. Oh, excuse me, small one. <laughs> <laughs> I punched a moose once. What's so funny? <laughs> but you are all hardy, mountain-born creatures, and the cold doesn't bother you anyway. That seems inefficient. Revealing the map. Revealing okay. the map. Corlin. 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 It's a great sword. It's legendary. Oh, what'd you do? Nice. 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 <laughs> I killed the Night King. Okay, well, let's cool. take a yeah. thing from Dragons the armor. love it when you throw garbage in their bed. Tune in to Chocolate Knuckle. Capital Ho, Capital Lee, Capital Crap. Episode 100. This is episode 100. Episode 100. That's crazy. We've been making this podcast for over two years now. That's a long time. It's twice the average life expectancy of the panther chameleon. For real, look it up. Before we get to the episode, we have to dole out some heartfelt thanks to you, the listener. Whether you've been with us since the very beginning back in Stone's Throw, or you joined us later in our adventures, we appreciate you being along for the ride. Thank you. No, we really mean it. Thank you. We love making the show, and knowing that anyone out there is following along makes the whole process that much sweeter. We'd also like to thank everyone that supported us along the way. 
Victory Condition Gaming, The Council of Geeks, The Mono Room, Dogmite Games, Battle Bards, Jumpstat Tees, Gamers Against Alzheimer's, Carnage Con, The Vermont Sci-Fi and Fantasy Expo, Quarterstaff Games, Vermont Comedy Club, Patreonizers past and present, and our families and loved ones. To sum up, thank you from the bottom of our arm collection. Now, if you're new to the show or just looking for a recap because your brain has turned to mush as the result of a new batch of MK Ultra experiments, we'll throw it to our friendly neighborhood DM to get you all caught up. Take it away, Sam. Thanks, disembodied voice. At the beginning of our story, the party was made up of human bard Cassian Von Demos, half-orc barbarian Olash Mershucks, dwarven cleric Yarfik Stormhammer, and high elf wizard Eowyn Oromora collectively known as the Von Demos Adventuring Syndicate. So, Vidas found themselves in a jail cell in the town of Stone's Throw. It seems that one of their number had gotten drunk the night before, picked and lost a fight with the wrong horse. They bartered for their freedom by agreeing to take on a missing persons case that the local guardsmen just did not have the bandwidth to investigate. They were soon off into the woods, tracking down a missing halfling boy. The trail led them to a ruined keep that had become home to a group of kobolds. They rescued the boy from the keep, defeated the kobolds, and even took one of them prisoner, returning it to town for justice to be meted out. The kobold was put on trial, and the party, having taken somewhat of a shine to her, acted as her legal counsel, somehow managing to get her off on community service. They were soon put on another missing persons case. Five people from the town had gone missing, all after bar fights. Their investigation led them through an outhouse portal to a large underground fight club in which competitors were forced to fight via mind control collars. If they lost, they were sold as slaves. Yarfik infiltrated the fight club as a contestant, and during his first fight, the rest of the group confronted the mastermind behind it all, Dr. Scutch. After some intense battles, they were able to strike Scutch down and free Yarfik and the other fighters from the grips of mind control. After their return to town, they received a letter from Sir Therifid Lionsmane, the head of a militant peacekeeping group called the Tempered Steel, inviting them to meet with him in the city of Bastafier. They set off from the town of Stone's Throw, and on the road they fought highwaymen, investigated a haunted house, and visited Eowyn's alma mater, Blackbeak Academy. While there, Eowyn was offered a position as a teaching assistant, and she decided to stay. The party said their goodbyes and set off to their meeting in Bastafier, but not before picking up a passenger named Valera. She traveled with them to the city. After being attacked by fae creatures along the way, she revealed that she is actually named Ildov and is a warlock beholden to a demonic patron, but she's trying to be a good person. Arriving in the city of Bastafier, they went to where the letter told them to go, finding a strangely empty building. Going all the way in, the doors suddenly slammed, locking them inside, and the party had to solve a series of puzzles to get the doors to reopen. They seemed to be designed specially for each of them. They successfully made it out, but not before Olash was cursed with mummy rot. In an attempt to find a cure, they turned to a less than reputable person named Gulric de Tuop who promised them a cure in return for providing a little muscle. All they had to do was beat some people up. In the process of doing that, they were locked in a warehouse that was then set on fire and seemingly left for dead. 
They manage to escape through the sewers and speak to the leader of their former foes, finding out that Gulric may be even more disreputable than they feared. Through a series of events, they discovered that they are actually heroes of legend and have been prophesied to vanquish a great evil known as Elder Zul, the Deep Wrath. But first, they have to recover a legendary weapon on the other side of the continent. They worked against Gulric while in his confidence, eventually breaking into his mansion and confronting him. After besting him in combat, they took him prisoner and left the city in search of the weapon, Ajia's Tear. There were complications. One of Gulric's guards, Kathak, who had become smitten with Olash, came with them, not knowing that they held his boss captive. Along the way, they fought Knowles and met a kindly priest with some fiery ale. Kathak left the party to escort their priest friend to his abbey, and the party arrived in the city of Crossroads. They deposited Gulric at the local station house of the Order of the Raven's Egg, an organization that fosters and polices magic users. Soon after, the town was attacked by a griffin, causing the guards to close the gates lest anyone leave and be put in danger, effectively stranding the party till the morning. The steward of the ORE station house, a tiefling named Pasht, invited them back to read some books, and then confronted Ildov about being a warlock, something the ORE considers to be a crime in and of itself. A tense battle ensued, but the party was able to knock her unconscious and tie her up. Whew. Okay, take a breath, we're halfway. The party camped out in Pasht's station house for the night, leaving as early in the morning as they were able so as to avoid anyone discovering their activities from the previous evening. They headed north. Along the way, they rescued an injured griffin from a hill giant. Eventually, they made their way to the path to the mountain Verisayorsa, where they believed Ajia's Tear to be located. This particular path was well cared for and tended by a furbolg named Blackwing. A somewhat strange being, he allowed them safe passage so long as they didn't disturb the forest or its fauna. When they camped for the night, they were again attacked by fey creatures. Luckily, Blackwing appeared and helped them. He watched over them so they could rest, and before they left warned them about the Tash S. Kayana, a group of wood elves that live on the mountain and take its care very seriously. Arriving at Verisayorsa, they came to a small shrine upon which a flowery portal opened. Out stepped the god of knowledge, Maku, to provide the party with the last bit of aid the gods would be able to give till Elder Zone is dealt with. Their former party member, Eowyn, freshly transported from Blackbeak Academy. After a tearful reunion and giving her the cliff's notes on the current situation, they began their ascent. They ran folly of a mimic and attracted the attention of the Tashes Kayana, but were able to make a deal with them. They would be led to and allowed into a cave on the mountain in return for looking for a lost member of the tribe. Inside the mountain, they fought spiders, made friends with mushroom people, and discovered a vast underground cavern filled with trees and other vegetative life. Here they discovered the missing elf. Though he had no interest in being rescued, he was able to provide them with information about the warring clans of Vegapygmies in the cavern. They worshipped a being on the far side where the light was brightest. Carefully sneaking there, they found a stand of trees flanked by a river and a lava flow. From one of the trees, a wooden being emerged with a bright light in their chest. It demanded a sacrifice of them, and unwilling to comply, a battle began that saw this creature summon minions out of both the water and magma. Eventually striking it down, Eowyn plunged her hand into the creature's chest, drawing forth a shimmering rapier, the legendary weapon Ajia's Tear. 
As soon as the weapon was free of the wood, the lava and water began to rise, so the party booked it through a cavern that had devolved into utter chaos. They made it out unscathed, bringing their mushroom friends with them, and waiting for them in the cave mouth was Kathak, who had been following behind by only a day or two. The Tash Eskayana were also there, admonishing the party for clearly causing trouble. The scolding was short-lived, though, as soon a group of gargoyles attacked. Snapping into action, the party defended themselves and put the gargoyles down. As a token of gratitude, the elder of the Tash Eskayana allowed them to go free, provided that one of their number remained behind to help repair the damage done. Olash elected to stay, and Kathak decided to remain with her. Tears were shed, but the party didn't have time to rest on their laurels. Having retrieved the weapon, they set out to return to Bastafir. Along the way, they saw Blackwing again and partook in some mushrooms, if you know what we mean. They fought trolls wearing humanoids as armor and liberated a burned-down hamlet from a group of bugbears and goblins. Upon discovering a portal in the woods and stepping through, they came face to face with Cackling Agatha, a hag that had a specific bone to pick with Ildov. It turns out that she and Ildov's patron Shyok have bad blood. Cackling Agatha offered to supplant Shyok as Ildov's patron if Ildov would agree to help her do away with Shyok. She also made offers of powerful magical items to the rest of the party. Though tempting, no one was willing to pay the demanded prices. They were allowed to leave, and Cackling Agatha gave Ildov a means of returning should she change her mind. A few days later, they made it to the edge of the city, finding the Tempered Steel returned from their contract and having set up a camp. Within, they spoke with Sir Therifid, the TS's leader, about what could be done. The city was locked up tight, and there simply weren't enough forces available for a frontal assault. They decided to embark on a stealth mission. Finding one of their criminal contacts, they learned of a secret way into the city in a cave the locals feared, known as the Bloodied Maw. Setting out after resting, they traversed the cave, coming in contact with and besting a gelatinous cube, then finding a secret door that let them into the sewers. Going topside to get their bearings, they encountered a strange green creature with a single large eye that was able to see through their magical disguises. With clever use of suggestion, Cassian was able to comet, having it follow them for the time being should it come in handy. After some reconnaissance, they decided to go back into the sewers and head toward the large column of smoke in the northwest. After attracting the attention of a cultist patrol, they were able to silently take them all out, stealing their robes in the process so they'd each have a disguise. From there, they broke into a nearby building so they could rest. In the night, Ildov was contacted in her dreams by her patron and given a mission to kill a specific man in the city. She left in the morning before the others awoke, leaving only a note that she would find them again ASAP. The party was none too happy about it, but had no choice other than to keep going. They inspected a nearby construction site to find them building siege weapons. They then discovered the source of the Pillar of Smoke. A large bonfire had been lit right next to a massive hole in the ground, over which a pulley had been erected. They could clearly see prisoners in cages being loaded onto a platform, presumably to go down for some nefarious purpose. Unable to stomach it, the party snapped into action, sowing chaos, dispatching the cultists, and freeing the prisoners. But what to do with them now? They resolved to lead them to the Western Gate, which they would hopefully be able to open, giving the Tempered Steel an avenue into the city. One of the prisoners had been infected with some horrible curse, and along the way, her head sprouted wings and ripped right off her shoulders, shrieking and possibly infecting more people. 
Worried that running around with 15 folks in tow might be conspicuous, they broke into another building and told them all to wait for them to return once the gate was liberated. Cassian, Yarfik, and Eowyn then went to the West Gate and found it far more fortified than they were prepared for. Both Cassian and Yarfik were struck down in the ensuing battle. Eowyn only barely escaped, fearing the worst for her friends. Returning to the building they had rested in, she found Ildolf, her mission complete. They decided to rest and then press on. No one else was going to save the world. Cassian and Yarfik awoke manacled to a wall in a laboratory. They found themselves in the clutches of science master Quaylar. Without any of their equipment, they were still able to briefly free themselves and get a magical message to Eowyn that they were alive. However, Yarfik's attempt to kill a subdued Quaylar ended with his escape and eventual recapture of the two heroes. A powerful necromancer, Quaylar has detachable hands, and the ones he was using were destroyed in the fight, so he decided to take one from Yarfik and one from Cassian as replacements. Meanwhile, Eowyn and Ildov were able to bluff their way down to what they now know is Keneloth, one of the great cities of old, thought lost over a thousand years prior, and now the headquarters of Elderzone, the Deep Wrath. In disguise, they were able to walk through the lower city, getting the lay of the land and trying to find any information about where the boys may be. Meanwhile, Quaylar went about his dastardly business and cut off Cassian's left hand and Yarfik's right. Then, seeing no more use for the two, dumped them down a corpse hole. Further underground, they were befriended by two former experiments of the Science Master, a pair of flesh golems who gave them a place to rest and some rats to eat. Yarfik sent another message to Eowyn, letting them know that they were under the building now, and the ladies went searching specifically for a way to get underground. Finding a blocked cave entrance, Ildov magicked the rocks out of the way, and they worked their way through, eventually reuniting with their friends. Hatching a plan to teleport back up into the lab so they could recover their equipment, they set about doing just that. Along the way, they knocked out a few more cultists, came up with some great alter egos, and defeated Science Master Quaylar. Garfik even went so far as to slit his throat while he lay unconscious, much to the group's chagrin. Okay. That gets you caught up to where we'll dive in in this episode. Back to you, disembodied voice. Thanks, Sam. He's a great guy. A little neurotic, but who isn't, right? Oh, man. I tell ya. Whew. Let's hit it and crit it. Welcome to Improvised Weapons. Last time in our main story, the party, utilizing Quaylar's research, was able to reattach Cassian's severed hand. They then turned to Yarfik, but he refused, saying that he would not allow himself to benefit from that horrible man's research. They then set about disposing of Quaylar's body by chopping him up into 10-pound man chunks that they would then feed to the Naga in the courtyard. They were able to breeze past Fazra in their Kronk, Yzma, Pacha, Kuzco disguises and get a little more information about the upper city as well. As they left the research building, Eowyn heard a noise approaching them from far down the road. Continuing on and keeping an eye on it, they soon found that the source was two trolls, carrying a bundle as they ran. As the trolls passed by the party, they were able to see that they had Sir Therifid, the leader of the Tempered Steel, tied to a pole like a hunted-down boar. And that is where we pick up. The four of you are on the road, approaching the ramp to the upper city, and have just been passed by the trolls. There's somewhat of a crowd following them. What are you doing? 
I think we should go with them. Follow the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Let's pretend to be looky-loos. That's one of the things I was always taught was just look like you're one of the crowd. You're not very good at that, Yaf. No, I'm really not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, one thing that I've found does not help with blending into crowds is giant face tattoos. <laughs> I, I admit it was a bigger challenge for me than most. It still is. <laughs> so you're all going to follow along. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So the uh, the trolls, uh, upon reaching the ramp, slow their roll just at least a little bit. Uh, the crowds here are a little more densely packed, so they can't just run through as, as easily, uh, which makes it slightly easier to follow them. As you pass by the bottom of the ramp, there is a uh, there's like a large largish tower at the bottom. As you go up the ramp at the top, you finally enter the upper city. It's as disheveled as the disparate parts that you've seen before, but there is a cohesion here that you haven't really experienced yet. The construction... Wait, Sam, yes, what's up? I'm sorry, I wanted to ask something before we get like all the way across the ramp, or ideally before the trolls do. Mm-hmm. When you say a ramp, is it just like a slope in the ground, or is there like a structure that's built up? You see, what, you know what I'm saying. Like, um, so it's not a, uh, it's not like a natural ramp, nor is it built up. It looks like it was sort of dug out. So it is just made of dirt and ground, um, but okay. it's not like like erosion didn't form this. So it's an earthen incline that they put in. Sure, yes, that but it's, it is that a is ramp a and not like it. a bridge. It's not no, like uh, no, this that, is not a bridge. Okay. This is like a dirt gradient. So as you reach the top of this this earthen incline, uh, you see the city itself. The construction here is all old, obviously, uh, but, you know, it's round structures with domed tops, which is not really a style of construction that you see anymore. All the structures are stone. They have veins of that phosphorescent mineral that you saw down in the, uh, in the, uh, the golem caves. Um, the streets themselves are all lined with tall, magical braziers. They're, they're essentially streetlights. There's a lot of movement here, uh, not just of the crowd that's following the trolls, but goods going from one place to another, people and creatures moving from one place to another, and they're all moving with like a clear sense of purpose. There's no one loitering or waiting or wasting time. Everyone has a task at hand, whether it's following these trolls or doing whatever their, their perceived job is. And many people are following the trolls, and as you pass through, more people are sort of breaking off from whatever their prior task was and joining this group. Um, and the trolls continue to run until they, um, they come to the bridge between the two mazes. So they approach the western end of the bridge, and as they do, they unshoulder the pole, and they, they sort of detach Sir Therifid from it. And they take him and they force him into a kneeling position at the uh, at the foot of the bridge, still bound at the wrists and ankles. Um, and once there, they wait. And we're just like right behind them, basically. It depends. So the the question now is how close do you want to get? There's a very large crowd that's formed. Everyone's trying to see what is what is going oh, on. I'm, I'm forcing my way as close as I can to be able to be nearby. Yeah. Okay. We we did establish, Sam, that like this cult has all kinds, right? Dwarves, humans, elves. Correct, whatever. yes. Yeah. It, it runs the gamut of, of the humanoid races. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily be out of place. Well, and, and now for us, you know, it's got a couple of South American dignity, dignitaries and a llama. It's also got South American dignity. Yeah, dignity. <laughs> 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 um, uh, yeah, let's push up towards the towards the front so that we can see what's happening. Yes. Okay. Um, so go ahead and 
Roll athletics. Well, no, I want you to roll something, and I'm just trying to figure out how it's going to work. Are you, do you want us to roll politeness? Um, well, I'm actually thinking roll... Uh, Sterity? Roll persuasion. Oh. Maybe performance as well. What if we want to intimidate? <laughs> well, okay, so actually, you know what? Just kidding. How I'm do you want to move through the crowd? I feel like... Cassian is going to use a combination of nimbleness and charm, as is his wand. He's going to kind of just, like, slip through gaps and sort of, like, smooth it over if he pisses anybody off by just, like, acting real chummy with them and all excited about the great victory. I'm just going to try to get as far forward as I can without touching anyone. Okay, so let's say that uh, that Cassian is the tip of the spear uh-huh. as you're trying to wedge your way through the crowd. So I'm adding tip of the spear to my business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so go ahead, and uh, here's what I want to, to have happen. I want Cassian to roll persuasion to, to be able to move you all through the crowd, and then I want one of you to roll uh, persuasion for Ildov. Depending on how high she gets, Cassian will get a, uh, an addition, a bonus. Nice. Okay. Uh, ten. Ten. Okay. So you get a plus one. Um, I get a uh, twenty-two. With uh, plus one is twenty-three. Tw- okay, with a twenty-three. Um, That's so exactly what the DC was. What? That's exactly what the DC was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, good thing you had it's that plus one. Ildov really clutch in this. Yeah. Song. Yeah. <laughs> Cassian, you just start like you're walking through the crowd like the mayor. Uh, just walking through, like, glad-handing with people, being like, hey, isn't this exciting, talking about all this stuff, and... How you doing? How's the leg? Kids okay? Still in school? Great. Yeah, you're, you're kissing babies and shaking hands, and, and people are, they're buying it. They're, they're excited. Uh, everyone is, is super excited about this. You know, this is a great victory that they've, that the cult has just scored. So you're able to sort of push your way through, uh, and you get up, not quite to, like, the very front, uh, unless you, well, uh, how how close do you want to get? I guess is a better one. I think we want to get right up to the front. I mean, we want to see. Yeah, we, we want to see. I'm hoping Sir Therafit, if he does recognize us, will have the good sense not to blow up the spot. He'll be pissed at us anyways. We got him captured. Yeah, but I think he will still recognize that not exposing us would be his best shot at getting out. Right. Uh, let's hope. I mean, if he sees us in cold as robes. All right. Well, let's try to stay out of his line of sight then. I guess. Okay. So you make your way up to the front of the procession, um, and you can see there's, it's essentially like this sort of semicircle has formed around the trolls up to the, uh, the edges of the cliff face around the bridge. That's uh, got like a, eh, maybe like a 20 foot space there just to, to give some breathing room. And you reach the front, very soon the crowd around you all begins to drop to one knee and bow their heads. Well, we're going to do that too. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you all drop to one knee, bow your heads. I'm trying to look up under the hood. I though am also surreptitiously going to kind of uh, reach for the handle of Baju's gear under my robe. Okay. I'm going to put my hair in front of my face so that it looks like my head is down, but I'm going to peek up through my hair a little <laughs> bit so that I can see. Like a, like a, a duck blind? <laughs> Sure. Yes. I'm gonna push my beard up just enough to cover my eyes and look through the beard hairs, also like a duck blind. I, I lean in real close to the others and whisper, "If you hear me say, rise and shine, cover your eyes. What? Just trust me. Okay. I may make a play here. All right. And it, it may involve a whole lot of daylight. I'm gonna surreptitiously put put my one hand I have into my cloak and grab my holy symbol just in case something's gonna go down. Okay. 
I'm going to look around and see how many cultists there are here. And say, Cassian, in case of absolute emergency only. Yes, I know. Okay. Uh, Sam, how clustered together are all the cultists, by the way? Not quite shouldered. Like, we're not talking Times Square on New Year's Eve, but they're still pretty close. Like, What percentage of the crowd would you say is within a 60-foot radius of each other? <laughs> Probably, like half of it or so oh okay but not necessarily within a 60 foot radius of you if you're at the front of the line because that puts a big empty space in front of you right no i just want to know how many people could theoretically be covered by one 60 foot glass gotcha are you uh, trying to neuralize the crowd a decent amount i could theoretically blind them yeah i mean it depends on how well they save but exactly. you know but still, it's just like pulling out a Making giant Making Sam roll that many saves. <laughs> <laughs> bunch of those is like one save at that point. I would probably roll like one save per 10 people or yeah. something like that. No, I'd make you do each individual person. Oh, God. Thank you for keeping <laughs> me we honest. We owe yeah. it to our fans to play this right. <laughs> Here's Terry. Here's Gerald. Oh, Tear Jer. Um, yeah, we will want to hear all of their names and their stat blocks. Of course. Of course. I have backstories for each one. Oh, good. Uh, they all have extended <laughs> families. They're all different classes. That's yep. the best part. So from across the bridge, uh, you hear footsteps and you uh, sort of all of you surreptitiously trying to hide that you are looking up, but looking up and being at the front of the crowd, no one can really see what you're doing. You see first... Two uh, of those, uh, what you now know, are called Nothics approaching. Mm-hmm. Those the 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 uh, single-eyed green creatures that have true sight. Um, so you see two of those approaching, uh, sort of like one uh, on either side of the bridge, and then behind them you see two tentacle bros, suns out, tentacles out, marching down like almost in lockstep with the Nothics. And then you see something you've never seen before. Approaching from across the bridge is a large creature. Spherical body, about eight feet in diameter. It's floating three feet off the ground. Oh, my God. Sprouting from its back are what look like ten tentacles. Uh, but they're not. They're they're eye stalks, and each one is tipped with an eyeball the size of a grapefruit. The majority of the main body is taken up by two major features: one, a large mouth filled with dagger-sized teeth and a single large bloodshot eye. The body itself is a mottled green, and it seems to have sections of chitinous armor sort of scattered all about it. Eventually, the Nothics and the Tentacle Bros reach the the end of the bridge and stop, and then this creature floats out between them and stops in front of the trolls and Sir Therifid. And now we can put it on a map. Map time! It's a map! (laughs) Two Tentacle Bros, check. Yep. Two trolls. I forgot how big they were. Ah! Oh my god. god! Damn, that's a great mini. Oh man. Oh, oh god. Oh my I god. I can't believe it didn't occur to me that that's what he would. Uh, Elder Zone was. Was a beholder? Really? All I mean, of the eye imagery didn't <laughs> didn't nail it for you? <laughs> Honestly, it did not. 
So. Oh, my God. The uh, creature comes forward, comes to a stop in front of Therafid and the trolls, and sort of stops for a moment and looks out uh, over the crowd. And as that gaze falls on the four of you, uh, Cassian, you feel your hand go numb. Okay. The one he lost? Yeah. Oh, no. And then as soon as the gaze passes over and he's no longer looking directly at you again, the feeling comes back. Ooh. I think I know what happened there. Uh, Then you hear booming out from him. Rise! And the crowd Uh, rises. Oh, yeah, we stand up. Pull the beard down. Yeah. Sir Therifid, we finally meet. My forces tell me you fought well. That is to be commended. But, as is the case with any that choose to stand against me, you have fallen. A cheer rises up from the crowd. I give a golf clap. <laughs> and then... I, I, I throw a middle finger from inside my rope. Sure. Uh, then two... Uh, then what you now know is Elder Zone, uh, looks down and speaks to Therifid himself. Uh, you're all close enough to actually be able to hear this. This is not fully addressed to the crowd, but he's not necessarily trying to hide what he's saying either. That you stood against me at all is still a curiosity. We strive for the same thing, to take a weak world and make it strong. Then sort of rises up again and addresses the full crowd. The first major impediment to our spread has been squashed. Be proud and be strong. Many battles await us. This world will be cleansed by our fire and emerge all the stronger for it. No, others have the will to do what must be done. Our duty is etched into our very being by the gods themselves. We are this world's salvation. Again, a cheer rises from the crowd. His dictation, or his diction yeah. is interesting. Yeah! Well, brother. Very good, very good. <laughs> to the trolls, he then turns and says, Bring him. I would speak more in a private setting. And he floats around. Floats back across the other side of the bridge. <laughs> Just like the cop from the Jetsons. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the, uh, the Nothics and the Tentacle Bros both about face and follow him at his flanks. Meanwhile, the trolls both heft Sir Therifid back onto the pole and carry him across the bridge onto the Eastern Mesa. Love the teamwork. <laughs> um, once they are sort of across the bridge, the crowd begins to disperse. People return to whatever their prior tasks were. They all have a, you know, like a pretty, they're, they're vibing. They're feeling, they're feeling good. It's a jaunty step. Yeah, it's, it's a, a jaunty, morale it's definitely step. a jaunty step. Um, are any of them going over the bridge? Uh, it doesn't look like any of them are going over the bridge. 
I ask, um, I ask Ildov quietly if she can tell if the bridge has any enchantments on it. So, uh, Ildov, uh, roll sleight of hand for her. 13. The 13. Uh, so she, uh, tries as best she can to sort of cast detect magic, uh, without it, without it being noticed. And, uh, she takes a look and the bridge, it seems normal. There's no, there's nothing, uh, magical about it. Okay. Uh, is the bridge wooden or is it stone? Uh, it's uh, a mixture of wood and stone. Can I get an idea from where I am, kind of what the construction of it looks like? Is it older? Is it able to be kind of brought down easily, or is it kind of? In uh, so it's it's made of old materials, but it's not as old construction as everything else is. Uh, the bridge clearly looks like it was, uh, unlike most of the buildings here, built after the fall of the city. Um, so it is a, a newer construction. Um, it looks pretty well, not necessarily fortified, but um, but it's secured pretty well. Um, it's not the kind of thing, like, there's no linchpin in it. There's no right, one right, thing right. you could pull out to make it fall. I was just trying to figure out, like, through stone, like, is it put together well enough that, like, if we made a few good cracks in it, it might, we might be able to bring it down from the other side? Uh, it's possible. You'd have to, uh, you don't know what the other side of it looks like. Right. I will say, we can also, I can also, if, if we were ever being pursued, say, um, we do have the option of using an illusion to make it look like we've sundered the bridge. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that might It's be true, good. but the things with true sight would see through them. That's why I was like, it, honestly, it would just oh, be easier just to right, not have people right. chase us from one side to the other if we go over. Do I know what a beholder is, Sam? Does Cassian know that? Uh, roll... Um, uh, I guess roll... Arcana. Okay. Uh, that is an 18 for Arcana. Ildov got a 15, so Cassian has the best roll so far. And anyone got less than that. Natural 20. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> beholders are... John, you are a beholder. <laughs> yes, I am a beholder. <laughs> uh, beholders are not completely unknown to people. Uh, they are very rare. None of you have ever encountered one, surely. Uh, but they have been they have been written about scantily in the past. They are, uh, I mean, what you saw is certainly indicative of what you've read before. Um, and alongside that, you do have some, some tidbits uh, that will be useful. Um, you know, uh, it has been written about that they have an anti-magic gaze that, that emanates from their, their large eye. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, able to shoot a number of different rays from all of their, their eye stalks that all have uh, various uh, destructive properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can do a lot of different things with all of that. They are uh, wickedly intelligent creatures. Emphasis on the wicked part of it. Uh, they are pretty, pretty just sort of like naturally evil and uh, hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hard to kill just because they're very powerful, or they have like armor plating, or I mean, I guess we saw some armor plating. Um, it's hard to kill more because it's hard to reliably get close enough to them to kill them, and they are immune to a lot of uh, things that would make it easier. You can't, 
uh, knock them prone because they right. float naturally. You can't you can't generally attack them head on with any kind of magic, which would be the most powerful way to uh, to take a good chunk out of them. Um, and even if you were to get close enough to do some sort of melee attack on them, those jaws are not for show. Do I know if they can be charmed or if they're immune to that? That'd I mean, I know if it comes at them straight on. <laughs> okay. Let me see. Obviously not through the anti-magic. Yarfi's like but... thumbing through his lore, just like, okay, uh, let's see here. Beholder, Beholder, uh, Bestial, uh, Changing, uh, uh, Belchmaster, uh, uh, Beholder, there it is. Moose Knuckler. Um, they are, they're not immune to charm. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean it would be easy. No, yeah. They are quite smart. Uh, no one else is going across the bridge. Across the bridge, but I feel like if we do I that, we'll be well, called out. Right, we might yeah, be. Probably not in front of everybody. Let's wait for the crowd to disperse. Uh, do we, do we want to kind of explore this side of the city a little bit? It sounds like Therafit is not in immediate danger. Um, he's going to be interrogated, presumably, which won't be fun, but he probably won't die. Yes, maybe there's a sort of shop on the side of the city that we can buy things from. <laughs> That's an idea, yeah. Let's look for the sell uh, some daggers, and we we still have about fifty eight daggers that we've never sold. We really do. Uh, <laughs> although the, my, Has my, anybody my... been rigorously tracking our inventory? I have not. I've not either. Not really. I've been tracking our our spend for our gold, but not our. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you guys don't mind, we don't have to sell the daggers. I can always just keep making my dagger mail armor that I've been making. You know, just sewing them together. <laughs> I didn't know you were working on that. Oh yeah, in my spare time that I've had, which these two weeks, which hasn't been much. <laughs> It's hard to sew daggers with only one hand. Yep. So you're going to look around this side of the city? Yeah, we're going to explore Let's a bit. Let's see what we can okay. see. So you're look, on the... Uh, look, like we're, look like we're going somewhere, though, though. We have somewhere to right. be. We yeah. look purposeful. You're on the Western Mesa. Uh, you're right in front of the bridge. Oh, uh, look, a sign, the Western Mesa. There's, you know, you, you basically have the run of it. So this tower that's next to us is just like a guard tower, I'm guessing. It's like a watchtower. There's not really... Yes. I guess let's head towards that other big building that's sort of behind us and to the, to the right, see what I'm The farthest one or the one that's closest to us? So, um, uh, cardinal directions apply here. So, so the, the, north the, one. the top, oh, okay. so north, south, east, and west are so of the orientation. west of us. Yes, yes, I see it. I see it. This one. Yep. You guys want to see what that is? Now we can take a look. Sure. So you head uh, northwest. Uh, through the dispersing crowd, looking like you are traveling with purpose, like you a know where you're going and b have a reason to be there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you travel northward. Um, it doesn't take super duper long. Uh, it's it you know we'll say maybe fifteen to twenty minutes to walk that distance, and you arrive at a uh, a largish building. Um, Eowyn and Ildov would see some sort of passing resemblance with the research station that they visited on their way through the lower portion of the city. Mm-hmm. At least there's a passing familiarity from the, the outside. Who's to say what's inside? You'd have to right. open the doors and go in. The one thing that really sticks out is that there, there don't seem to be any guards here. And you're not just noticing that about this building in particular. You haven't noticed, like, guards or patrols... The closest thing you saw was sort of that retinue that Elderzol was traveling with. But even that, it didn't really seem like he needed them to protect him. Right. It seemed more like he just wanted an entourage. 
So there seems to be some measure, you know, you could probably infer that they they feel safe here in the heart of their city, so they don't feel like they need to be policing. Oh, it's time to set a bomb and run. Let's go check out the building first. Yeah, I, I think, so big picture here, guys, uh, I don't think that we're strong enough to take on Elder Zold at this point, but right. hopefully we can do some damage to their operation while we're down here by just like surgical strikes on you know, parts of their infrastructure and the other hopefully take out some of their big weapons. Guerrilla you know, tactics. Uh, exactly. If I might pipe what up here, though, I, I like the idea of what you're doing, especially because we are a small strike force of amazingly amazing people, but Sir Theravid is captured. We kind of have to get him out. Well, I, I, would lo- I would definitely like to try to do that. I would think maybe the best time to do that is when it's not the time when we know that Elder Zone is right next to him. Right, but... We don't know whether he's going to just, after he's done speaking with him and pulling whatever information he can out of him, if he's going to wipe him out then or hold on to him as a trophy. We don't know. We can't. You know as well as we do. You know better than any of us, given your uh, arcana role, that we cannot, the four of us, kill Elder Zone. There's always a chance. Uh, is there, though, really? I mean, you've got really, uh, You've got I, the tear of Ajia. Um, the thing that meant to bring him down. Um, I think we are at some point. Yes, Ildav. Yes. Yes, I, I just wanted to say that, um, I mean, did you see how many cultists there are here? I mean, we've we've got to do something that's going to thin out the herd before we can even think about trying to rescue Theraphid or, or killing Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm Ildav saying. is right. We, we need to take out his support base first, so... Are you saying we should kill everybody, Ildav? Is that what you want us to do? Well, everybody. Quite a few of them. I'm just saying right? that we need to... There needs to be some distraction or something. We, we need... To, we don't have enough information yet. We can't so just go off on our own. Well... I mean, if there were any, like, little knickknacks or things or other magical items we could grab, that'd be perfect. We could, like, throw them out or do something with them, but we don't have that many on us. I mean, we've been doing pretty good with that so far, stealing a lot of good gear. I mean, the more... The more well, did, did you two come across anything on your way up to find us that would have helped us out? Or, like, uh, like where they were researching stuff or anything? I mean, there was a research station. Oh, right. But this place looks very similar to that, so this may be another research station okay. inside. Yeah, let's see if we can steal some research. Uh, so where where were you having this conversation? I think just like on the walk quietly to each other as we're walking towards the okay. building, right? Okay. Or are we already right next? To no, I'm. I'm. You could be having this conversation on the way. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So people are still moving all around, and there is a. Um, what was the roll? <laughs> it's a D four. <laughs> so it rolled a twenty. Uh, Eowyn drops caltrops on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> they just fall out of her hair. Yeah. They've been in there for years since she was playing jacks. Continue. Okay. Approaching from sort of another road that, that dovetails with the one that you are on is another group of, of cultists. There, there are uh, three of them, uh, and they have three uh, what you can only assume are prisoners between them, sort of all, all like tied along a rope at the hands. Their, their feet are free, and they're sort of trudging along. And they are walking at a not particularly brisk pace, but a normal pace uh, towards the building that you are approaching. And uh, they... How many of them did you say, sir? Uh, there are three cultists and three prisoners. Oh, okay. And uh, they they reach the door slightly before you open it up. Okay. I guess we'll follow them, this right? Is a, maybe in jail. Okay. A gowl. Yeah. So <laughs> you... <laughs> 
follow them in. As you walk through the door, you, uh, specifically Eowyn and Ildov, notice the very stark differences between the research station that you saw before and this building. Uh, where the building that you saw in the lower city had rows of tables with someone diligently studying at each, like some sort of evil Apple store, this building <laughs> has only one feature inside. At the center of a space that looks about the size of like a high school gymnasium is a large blue crystal with streaks of black and silver on it. <gasps> You'd estimate it being about 15 feet tall and about 10 feet wide. The top and bottom of it are pointed, and each is set into a metal fitting in the ceiling and the floor, respectively. Wow. There are metal rods affixed to these settings that hold the, the crystal in place. And the frontmost facing of it has a divot carved out of it that's about humanoid-sized. And there are manacles attached to the rods on either side of that divot. The streaks of black and silver all seem to emanate out from the center of that carved out portion. Otherwise, the room contains a bin off to one side and a small writing desk and chair off to the other. The cultists bringing the prisoners in uh, go right up to a, a drow who's in uh, towards the center of the chamber by the crystal this drow, kind of indeterminate gender-wise, it's hard to tell. They are wearing simple linens with a purple cloak. They have a topknot of white hair, uh, and slung across their chest is this, like, leather strap, but you can't yet see what's attached to it. It's pallid! It's not pallid. Okay, <laughs> damn it! Damn it! The other cultists go up and speak briefly with this drow, and then they... they cut the the rope so that the first prisoner can be freed and the drow instructs them on carrying it or leading it over to where that divot is with the uh with the manacles and they begin to affix the manacles to this person's wrists and ankles i whisper if we cast dispel magic would that stop everything here i don't know this does look like a magical crystal yes uh how many total cultists are in the room. Uh, so there are four total if you count the, the operator, the drow. Okay. Should we go with the whole we're here like we did with Fazra, or should we? we? Yes, we can say we're here on behalf. Oh, we're here. Uh, uh, we have the big guy. Uh, Cassian, you're the liar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chompy um, McChompers. Have they noticed us, Sam? I assume they, they see that we're here. Are they, like, looking at us like, what the hell are you doing here? Or are they just kind of like, oh, it's more cultists? So, uh, two of the cultists are affixing the manacles to the prisoner. The operator is instructing them. The other cultist is sort of holding the rope for the other two prisoners, who look just, like, beaten and downtrodden. Like, they're not going to try to escape on their own, because where the hell would they go? And that cultist does sort of, like, look over at the four of you with this look of, like, what the fuck? What are you doing here? We're doing a survey. Like, why would why would you um, be here without a clear reason to be? Doesn't say anything. Yeah, uh, I'm going to, um, I'm going to sort of uh, just stride over to them looking important um, and kind of snap at them officiously. Progress report. Excuse me? Did I stutter? The, high, the higher ups ask for a report on your progress here. We're planning. We're moving to the next phase of the operation now that uh, the, now that Therafit has been captured. They need to know how things are moving along. Here. While he's doing that, I'm walking over to the desk that was there and like starting to rifle through papers, looking very important. Uh, 
So as you do that, mm-hmm. the uh, the drow hears the the movement of the papers and everything, and like snaps around and says, "You there? What are you doing? Looking for your work?" I say, "Eyes on me, eyes on me, friend. Uh, I'm the one that you need to be." directing your attention to at the moment and I ask for a status update. And as you start to speak, the drow sort of puts their hand up with their finger out to quiet you, but never breaks eye contact with Yarfik and says, once again, what are you doing? We're here for a progress report. Then get away from my personal desk. None of my progress is listed there. Perfect. Glad to know it. I back away a little bit slowly and I don't back away like cowardly. I'm like, fine. Okay. I cast True Strike, and uh, Ildov also does not have that spell, so... Uh, yeah, no, she doesn't. But uh, <laughs> she would if she had it. Is there anything, yeah, is there sure. anything I can like surreptitiously try to like take quickly before they see me do it? or It's just a, like a quill and paper. Right, is there anything on the paper? Words. So I'm going to try to take a sheet. Well, he's looking directly at you. When I'm walking away, as I'm walking away, like... Okay, roll sleight of hand. Okay. That is... 15. Uh, if you wouldn't mind putting that back. My mistake. And put it down. I hope you aren't stalling. Why would I be stalling? <clears throat> Who are you? My name is Kronk. This is Yzma. <laughs> These other two are unimportant. Uh, we're here directly from Elder Zone. We need to know whether you're ready to uh, proceed for the assaults, uh, further assault on the surface. Well, why would you be coming here for that? Why wouldn't you be going to the rookery? Because the... We believe in going acting directly, right to the source. The rookery is on our list. You're not the only place we're checking. Well. Roll persuasion. Mirror. Both of you. Ildov. That was Ildov. Yes. Oh, that was Ildov. Okay, right. Yeah, okay. that was clearly <clears throat> Ildov. Anyone's not going <laughs> to. Sorry. It. Eighteen. Ildov rolled an eighteen. Okay. Uh, Twenty-four for Cassian. Fine. Progress is going as well as can be expected. Unfortunately, many of the prisoners have chosen to hide any of their magical tendencies, so we have had several batches of crystals come through inert. However, I see. we work as quickly as we can. I would love to have a string of people come through and just process each one over and over so that we can weed out all of them. But other departments also need their fodder. And I understand that. If you want my true opinion... We do. I would say, have the others refine their methods so that I can produce as many of these as we need. Refine as in ensure that uh, all the prisoners that make their way to you are magically gifted? Yes. Quaylar doesn't need those with those skills. I do. Yet he gets first pick. We've already spoken to Quaylar. He's very aware that he's behind schedule on a lot of things. I turn to the um, to the group that brought the prisoners. I say. I turn um, to <laughs> yes, and and as he's doing that, I turn to Yarfik. Or, or Elder turns to Yarfik and just kind of goes like, "We got this, Yarfik. You're good. You're just trying <laughs> to help. I know. You're... This is not um, your bag, man." Actually, surprisingly, I was. So at the I'm gonna group. ask the group that brought the prisoners. Have you verified whether these three whether these three are uh, gifted? Well, sort of. Sort of. Yeah, we. Please elaborate. Uh, we asked the the prisoners in the cell uh if if any of them had arcane abilities and they all these three were sort of standing in a corner and everyone else pointed at them so we don't know which one of them does but we know it's one of them 
I see. So we're just trusting on the word of a group of uh, terrified prisoners willing to sell out their own mothers for a reprieve. For a reprieve. You see, one of the <sighs> things that we've been tasked with is up, upping the efficiency of this entire operation. We can't be going based off of the words of prisoners under duress. Everybody knows that that's unreliable. You, I, I swear to God, these this to the to the elder zone below. These this organization has no grasp of subtlety. You're just, you, you could be wasting this man's time for all we know. The drow, the the drow speaks up and says, uh, I care little for subtlety, okay? I have a prisoner in the manacles right now. The easiest way for me to determine whether or not he has any arcane abilities is merely now to complete the procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, I and see, then I see. turns well, to the, the two that were uh, attaching the manacles and says, now, tighten the manacles. And they sort of uh, not tighten the manacles themselves, but pull the chains that are attached to them and like lock them off. So the the person is in like Da Vinci's model of man oh, pose. Jesus. I'm surreptitiously reaching below my cloak um, for the handle of my rapier uh, for of, of Raji's tear, um, and I'm going to say, well, there is actually one thing you may not have considered about that uh, course of action. And what's that? Sheik. And I whip oh, it out crap. and stab it through the throat. <laughs> um, I'm also, uh, I want to, well, just, I'll like, wait till my next turn. That. I just stab him in the throat. And so, and all the other things I'm going to do. It's gonna be... There's no roll for that, right? No, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. I cast stab I mean, I, that's what I'm attempting to do. It's a blinding <laughs> stab, too. It's like, it's like flash of light straight through the neck. Uh, well, go ahead and roll an attack. As Cassian does that. That is a 22 for my I... Suppose that we're in battle now, and yep. so using my truth strike, I cast Firebolt on the on uh, on the cultist that's not manacling the the prisoners. The one that's holding the other two. Yes, the one that's holding the other two. Okay. So using truth strike, I have advantage, right? Yes. Uh, yes, you have advantage on that. Yeah. Cassian, your twenty-two hits. Go ahead and roll damage. Yeah, one of those is a natural one, so I'm happy that I got advantage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a twenty-four. Yeah, that hits. Yeah. Um, that is a 13 damage. Radiant damage, if that matters. 13 fire damage at the cultist holding the two prisoners. Okay. Um, so, Cassian, uh, you uh, whip out uh, Aja's tear, and you stab forward. Uh, the drow sort of rolls a little bit, so you don't get him, like, in the neck, but you do get him, like, through the, sort of the meat of his shoulder. And it's, like, searing, like, basically, you basically, like, lightsaber stab him, pretty Mm -hmm. much. Like, it's, uh, pretty gross. (laughs) Uh, um, Meanwhile, uh, Eowyn, you, uh, ready for action at any moment. Uh, Eowyn's always ready for a good scrap. Mm-hmm. Um, She's always prepared. Uh, with your true strike having already been cast, uh, you know exactly where to aim. <laughs> and you fire off a firebolt, and you catch this cultist right in the side of the head, uh, set his hair on fire. Ooh. Nice. And he drops the, the rope uh, holding the two uh, the two prisoners. And now we do. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on all the things at IWVTCast. You can email us at improvisedweaponsvt at gmail.com, and you can check out the other great podcasts from Puma Knife at teampumanife.com. As we said up top, this is our 100th episode, which is like, wow. 
What? Wow! If you'd be so kind as to subscribe, since you're obviously hooked now, and leave us a nice review, that'll go a long way towards helping other people find us. And feel free to let them know episode 100 is a good jumping on point. If you're interested in supporting the show, head over to patreon.com slash IWVTCast and send some dough our way. Not red dough, I live in a gluten-free household. We are also the official podcast of dumpstattees.com. So head over there, get yourself a sweet nerd shirt, and use the code IWPOD at checkout to save 10% and kick a bit our way. If you'd like more of a deep dive than the up-top recap gave you, head over to iwvt.fandom.com to peruse our wiki. The Improvised Weapons theme and outro were written and recorded by Adam Rabin. You can hear Adam's latest album, The Badger Flies at Dawn, on Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Spotify. And you can hear the rest of his catalog at imadeitup.com. Some of our music and many of our sound effects are from battlebards.com. To use them in your game, follow the link in the episode description to sign up for BattleBards Prime, or use the code IWVTCAST at checkout. Once again, a heartfelt and genuine thank you for coming with us on this journey. This may be episode 100, but there's plenty of story left to tell. Tune in next time as the party attempts to liberate the prisoners from whatever it is this evil-looking crystal does. We'll see you on the next episode of Improvised Weapons. This has been a Puma Knife production. <laughs>